going on? Uh, welcome to Skeevy Delicious. I am Blotitious. Um, thank you for joining me this uh, episode. I was on a brief hiatus for a while. Thank you for being patient while I got my shit together. Um, I was extremely busy for a minute and now I'm here. Thank you so much for waiting for me. You have no idea how much that means to me. Let's just dive in here. Um, I want to talk about something that is extremely important to me. Gentrification. Let's just talk about it. For those who may not know exactly what gentrification is, to put it very simply, it's the process of making a neighborhood or a district or an activity more palatable to the middle class. I'm not really here to mince words and make people comfortable. What bothers me so badly about gentrification is that there are people who actually don't believe it affects anyone in a negative manner. I'm here to tell you six reasons why I think gentrification is so awful. Now, what I'm about to say is just limited to six points. There are many more. The show is 30 minutes and I still have something else that I want to talk about. So I'm not going to spend a very large amount of time talking about this. This is really just going to be more of an outline. If y'all want to talk about this further, please let me know. We can go right on into it. We can talk about it on Facebook Live. We can do a Twitter Q&A. Whatever you want, you let me know. Six reasons. First of all, children suffer when an area is gentrified. One of the first things that you notice before a neighborhood is gentrified is there is a school that's either torn down, moved, or torn down and then rebuilt. Or they just go ahead and just build a whole new one. Let me tell you why that affects children in a negative manner. If you have a poor neighborhood and you've got poor children who go to this poor school in this poor neighborhood, that means that the education in that school could potentially be lacking because that's very common in poor schools. Many of them are overflowing. The class sizes are huge. Many of the children are suffering from varying environmental issues. Uh, many of them are not eating right. Many of them may have undiagnosed uh, behavioral problems or mental health issues. Some of them are being abused. Some of them are being bounced from foster home to foster home. Some of them may live in group homes. I mean, the list is endless of reasons why these children are in schools that could definitely be better. So let's say you live in a hood. It's a hood school next to your house. They tear it down, rebuild it, put a shiny new school in place of it. School funds come from property taxes. If this is a poor neighborhood with dilapidated homes, slumlords, and vacant buildings, why the hell would you build a new school right there? Where are you getting the money to pay for this? This is why I say schools are a good indicator of what's about to happen in the neighborhood. So aside from everything else, we're just gonna forget everything around the school and just talk about the school for a second. 
Well, now you've gentrified a neighborhood and you've got white children who previously lived suburban lives mixed in with black children who many of them have probably never even sat in a classroom with another white kid in their entire lives. And if they did, that white child came from a poor neighborhood just like they did. So even though that white child is going to have a white privilege, that white child has a completely different upbringing because they're not going to view black people as less than off the rip the way that a wealthier white child might. When you change the culture of a child's learning environment so starkly as to put middle-class white kids and working-class black children in the same classroom, there is a loss of their childhood safety net because they can't relate to those children. And it is important for you to be able to relate to your peers, which is why workplace culture matters. You most likely will be a little similar to the people that you work around. They might be white and you might be black or you might be white, they might be Latino, or you know, a combination of varying uh, races, ethnicities, um, countries of or origin, and that's fine. But your general culture around the workplace is going to be similar. There are workplaces where the energy is relaxed, um, jovial, very chill. Someone who needs order and quiet and structure, they may not thrive in that environment because they're going to view it as chaotic and say, uh-uh, get me out of here. Send me over to, you know, Price Waterhouse Cooper or some shit. Get me the fuck out of Google. I get it. I get it. It makes perfect sense. So your learning environment is not going to be much different. If you put a bunch of hood kids in a suburban school where their favorite thing is fucking Shopkins and these kids love Paw Patrol, well, now you got, you know, West Side Story. Nobody wants that. It's not conducive to learning environment. It changes the way that now the middle, the middle class kids are looking at the poor kids like, why they talk like that? It doesn't mean that the poor kids are unintelligent. It means that they might learn differently. They might communicate differently. These uh, kids who came from the suburbs or from nicer schools, some of them, this might be their first time ever hearing AAVE spoken out loud outside of a rap song. And they're wondering why these kids talk like this. And they go home and say, well, ma, they talk funny. And they mamas might say, well, you know, these kids is kind of ignorant. They might not know no better. Okay, now you're instilling prejudice in your child because you think you're doing the right thing. You think you're giving them the correct answer, but you're not. It's where we fall off because we don't understand cultural sensitivity because white people don't try to understand us. They have decided that what they think and what they do is right, and that's that. And we all know that that's wrong. Another thing that happens when areas are gentrified, public health suffers. 
because now you have people who are afraid that they're going to lose their homes. They might develop uh, anxiety issues, depression. Uh, they're grappling trying to stay in a neighborhood that they love. And it may be the neighborhood they grew up in. Where am I supposed to go if this is my home and I've never known anything else? Where am I, where am I going? I live in Washington, D.C. They used to call it Chocolate City for a reason. It used to be predominantly black. It's still predominantly black. But it was a mixture of varying black people from all different social locations. Where now, most of the black folks in D.C. either have money or they don't at all. There's like very little of a middle class in the black folks in D.C. And every day, more and more white people move here. So it's becoming less black and it's becoming a place that caters less and less to black people. There is a soul in D.C. that is disappearing due to gentrification. There's people who have lived in D.C. since the end of slavery. This is the only place their families have ever lived. And they're running out of money to be able to stay here. It's disgusting to watch them lose their hard-earned capital because they don't have, you know, development money to fight the developers that come in and try to buy them out or buy their property from the city or find something wrong with their house, picking paint chips off their houses in the middle of the night. I've seen this shit with my own two eyes. I've seen real estate developers look up somebody's taxes that are in arrears and go to the city and say, hey, I'll give you the land valuation plus the back taxes plus a little extra just to give me this house right here because it sits on a corner lot and I'm going to tear this house down and I'm going to put some condos right there because this house only houses seven people but I can fit a condo right here. I can fit a condo complex that I can put 60 people in and maximize my return. And the city is going to say yes every single time because now it's a problem that they don't have to deal with. From a business standpoint, I get it. But I'm people over profit. And that is where my third point comes in. New developments are profit driven. Period. They are absolutely, positively profit driven. Communities should be people driven. They should be about the community. It should be about the people. You can't have a neighborhood without neighbors. So you build these um, money mills, these apartment buildings, these condominiums, these super thin row homes for people to buy that have elevators in them. And you tell people, hey... You know, we've got these these great luxury condos going in. Ain't nobody got luxury condo money over here. So that means that the people who live here can't live here anymore because they can't afford to live here. I don't have money to pay $3,000 for a one bedroom. That's crazy. Especially knowing that I live in the hood. They create ghettos and then they revitalize ghettos and then when 
everybody swarms in here, buys up everything, moves in, tears it up, tears it down, and it becomes a ghetto again, it's just a cycle and it's going to start over. But I feel like we're at a point now where we can fight gentrification. You can revitalize a neighborhood without pushing people out of it. So you've built these new developments and people scurry into their building at 6.30 and they scurry back out at 7 the next day, never knowing their neighbors. I could go outside right now and see somebody and, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine, girl. How are you? These new developments, they don't do that. They don't know their neighbors. They not they might know the people in their building because they know what you know, they all have that that one thing in common is that they moved from somewhere else into this quote luxury building that is a new building and they feel special for it and everything is grand. But they don't know Miss Martha down the street. They don't know the woman across the street in the White House who just lost her dad. They don't know about that because they don't talk to their neighbors. They might walk their dog real quick, go back into their luxury building, and act like nothing happened. Um, it's not my favorite thing. I don't like it. Um, that brings me to my fourth point. Not knowing your neighbors is dangerous because when you are white and you move into a predominantly black or brown neighborhood... They criminalize the people of color who live in these neighborhoods because they see us as a threat and they see us as a danger. There was even a story in the Washington Post about people who happen to be white constantly calling the police for frivolous reasons. And really, it was just them calling the police on black people being black, not wanting folks to stand outside or sit outside they don't want us to be outside oh you know there's a bunch of people standing over there on the corner they hanging out shooting the shit mind your business they're not bothering you they're not doing anything wrong so they've moved from the corner of the house where they live into the park and now white people go oh well you know they're just congregating in the park bitch it's a fucking park I literally sat outside my building with my building manager and watched a white lady who bought a house across the street call the police on a man who was fixing his car outside because she said it was an eyesore. Bitch, if you don't go back in your motherfucking house and leave that goddamn man alone, we don't have garages. A lot of people on my block don't have a garage. Um, we don't really have um, an alley that can accommodate people putting a car back there. Because there's traffic, there's traffic that goes through the alley behind my building. So the man needed to fix his car. Where do you expect him to do that? He doesn't have money to go to an auto shop. So where would you like him to fix his vehicle? If he can fix it himself, where should he go? On the motherfucking street. What the fuck is the problem? This is, this is what I mean. You come to our neighborhoods... And criminalize the people who live here because they're doing something that you're not used to seeing people of color do. And you don't want to admit that you're not even familiar enough with black people or brown people to know that this is the fucking life we live. If I know how to fix my own car, I'm not going to take it anywhere. I'm going to sit outside of my house and fix my fucking car. Shit. 
Um, that takes me to my fifth point. Local businesses suffer so badly when neighborhoods are gentrified. Because what happens is you have these strips where there's small businesses, mom and pop places, bodegas, convenience stores, uh, little restaurants, little bars, whatever. Just anything that's owned by somebody who lives around here. Well, they don't have a business that appeals to gentrifiers. And they need to be able to attract the gentrifiers to get them to move here because they have money. So what do we do? We close down these buildings that might not be attractive. And we put in yoga studios and CrossFit studios and parkour studios. And we put in a fancy pet supply store. The one near my house is called Metro Mutts. Um, we put in a craft beer training facility. Yes, that exists down the street from my fucking house. Um, we put in fancy Irish bars and German beer gardens and places that have like indoor mini golf and shit. This is the shit that's in my fucking neighborhood. People who grew up in this neighborhood have zero use for these places. They want a grocery store, a greasy spoon, a place to get some good ass fried fish, um, somewhere to get cheap household goods and cleaning supplies because ain't nobody got no car. So they really not trying to, you know, take a huge trip to Target once a month to go get bleach and detergent. They want to come to, you know, Mr. Jones spot and go in there and get, you know, some Tide and some Suavitel and some bleach. Some Lysol, some Fabuloso. But no. White people just gotta have all of the all of the Starbucks. It's fucking outrageous. It really is. Um, which brings me to my very last point, which is that rent goes up. And I touched on that a little bit with the new developments. But when you have these new developments and these new businesses and these new schools, that means we need to be able to pay for all of those things to be here. So that means the rent goes up. If you can't afford to live here, you got to go. Which means when people come here and move here in large numbers, they're looking for housing. So if you can't afford to live here, you got to get out. And we're going to bring in someone who can't afford to live over here. And when people are moving here from other places, they're going to look for a place that has the things that they like. So if they're interested in yoga and CrossFit and German beer gardens and fancy pet supply stores and craft beer training facilities, they're going to try to see if they can get a house near the things that they like. So that when they're done having their commute for the day, they can go to all of those fancy ass places. There is a Whole Foods within walking distance. There is a Starbucks. There is about four different CrossFit gyms, like six different yoga studios. There's a Planet Fitness. Like everything in my neighborhood is perfect to draw in a white crowd. It's outrageous to me, but that's what the fuck gentrification is. Um, and the more people bring it up and talk about it, the more people realize how harmful they are being by being a gentrifier. 
And then you have the people who gentrify a neighborhood and then complain about gentrification. And I pointed out pretty often that if you live in one of these luxury buildings, don't say one word to me about how you don't like gentrification. You are literally part of the problem. Shut the fuck up. Okay, but there are some people who said, okay, look, I realized I was wrong and I gentrified. What can I do? There are things that you can do. Talk to your neighbors for one. Get to know them. Ask them their names. Ask them what their interests are, who they be with, things that make them smile, what number to dial. Ask if they going to be here for a while. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um <laughs> but also um know that you are the problem. Know that you are the problem. Um offer yourself. Think about where you spend your money. Do you have to go to Target or can you go to Mr. Jones place? Two blocks down. Is it going to cost you a little bit of extra money? Yes, but weren't you going to spend that money getting a target in the first place? Um, check your privilege actively, constantly, all the time. If you know that there might be a problem in your neighborhood with the police harassing the teenagers, get to know those teenagers. Ask them how they doing when you see them. How was school today? You good? All right, cool. I like your shoes. Little things that you can do to get to know the people who live around you. Um, and never assume that there's a blank slate to gentrification. There is no blank slate. You may see a torn down neighborhood that is being rebuilt. People are seeing everything that they've ever known disappear so that white people can be comfortable. Pay attention to that, recognize it, accept it, and do what you can to help keep their neighborhood as comfortable as possible for them if they're going to stay in it. What you don't do is displace somebody in a home that they built. Don't do it. And now I want to change gears a little bit and talk about something else um for those of you who do not know i am a freelance artist and creative consultant and i just want to kind of flesh out some ideas that i've always written about but never really talked about in detail with people um, and the more we get to a point where people are freelancing more and having side hustles and designing on the side and coding on the side it's important to know how to navigate the space between hiring your friend and hiring some other person there are do's and don'ts that go with hiring a freelancer period but when you hire someone that you know, no matter how close you are to that person, um, there is a code of conduct that you should really follow. Um, a few of the do's that I really adhere to and that I wish people would adhere to for me 
is to respect their calendar. Know that just because you're asking somebody to do something for you on Thursday, don't think that they're ready to go on Friday. They might already have projects that are in the works. My calendar often has things on it months in advance because I, people have already booked me that far in advance so that they have time to get their stuff together. And it keeps them accountable for their own work um, and also keeps me accountable for mine. Which brings me to the second do. Have your shit together. Have your plan all ready for them to look at. Have everything in one place, your notes, um, any manuals, any instructions, any mood boards, um, business plans, anything that you need for that person to help you. Don't ask me what I think. It's not my business. It's not my stuff. It's not my vision. It's not my baby. So I'm not going to be able to answer that question for you. Have your things in order. Sit down and flesh those thoughts out before you come to a freelancer and ask them to do something for you. Um, third, that is extremely important. Once you have your stuff together and you give them your materials, respect their process. Don't expect them to work the way that you work. They're going to have an artistic process by which they work. They may tell you about it. They may not. You can always ask questions. What does your process look like? How do you work? Uh, how do you prefer your work environment to be? It's okay to ask them that, even if it's somebody you know. Perfectly okay. Uh, which brings me to my next point, and that's follow-up. Even though you're respecting their process, you always want to follow up and say, hey, I got your email. Um, this is what I think. Uh, or, hey, I haven't seen you or heard from you in about a week. I just wanted to get like, you know, a little update on what's going on. Um, it's okay to follow up. This is your work. Because what might happen is your friend might have taken your project on as something extra, as a favor to you. And now they're juggling their stuff and your stuff. Another thing that happens sometimes is people will completely disappear into thin air and not really check in with the person who's working on their stuff. When you do that, I'm not about to chase you down. If you disappear, I'm not going to hunt you down to ask you questions about your work because I'm busy working. I'm going to direct my attention elsewhere because this doesn't seem like a priority to you. Be honest. Please be honest. When you don't like something, say that you don't like it. If you feel like the work isn't going in the direction that you would like for it to go, say that. It's okay to say, hey, um, I like this, but I don't really like it for what I'm doing. And it's okay to communicate with the person who's doing some sort of work for you. They would not want you to lie to them. They don't want to give you this work and you say you like it and you start using it and you're telling people that you don't like it. Well, now your freelance friend looks bad 
because they gave you some shit you don't like. Meanwhile, people don't know that you never told them you didn't like it. You're doing them a disservice and yourself by not being honest. Always be honest. Um, you're not going to hurt their feelings. And if you do, I hope that they will tell you that you hurt their feelings so that y'all can mend that. Lastly, pay them. Do not ask your friends to work for free. Please do not do that. Pay them and do not negotiate. You cannot get the homie hookup. This is not about you being family. Pay them what they are asking. There's a reason why that's what they charge. Pay them that. On my don'ts list, it's a little bit shorter because the do's kind of have a don't sort of cloaked over them. Uh, do not call your freelancing friend late at night for business purposes unless they expressly told you that you could. Sometimes I'll have people who will call me at 11 o'clock at night and want to talk about their project. No, no, I am resting. I may not be in a bed sleep, but it's chill time. Don't call me at 11 o'clock at night and ask me about this shit. You is crazy. Secondly, do not try to pick their brain. Do not ever ask them, hey, can I pick your brain? No, you cannot. Because the average freelancer has done years of training and schooling on whatever it is that they know how to do. They have spent hours practicing. They have put, you know, hundreds and maybe thousands of dollars into what it is that they do. They might have materials that are worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, take me, for example, a lot of my work is digital. I have over $10,000 worth of software on my laptop. My laptop is $2,500. That, that matters. That software matters. I could not do my job without it. This isn't like I just went somewhere and got a cracked copy of fucking Photoshop. That's not how that shit works. When you have things that cost thousands of dollars, you need to turn a profit so that you didn't buy that shit and you're wasting your money. Student loans. If I paid for a degree in this shit, the amount of money that I'm charging you is helping me pay those student loans to get the credentials that I have to be doing the work that I'm doing. Pay attention to that. Do not ask people if you can pick their brain. At the very least, that would be a consultation session and you need to pay them for that. And lastly, on my don'ts list, micromanaging. Do not micromanage your freelance friend. Let them work. Do not ever ask them why they're tweeting or ask them why they're out and about. This is no different than a regular job. Eight hours is all you get from me a day. When I have worked on your project for eight hours, I am done working on it for that time. Unless I choose to just keep going. If I know I got a little bit left, you know, I might keep going. Or if I don't have anything to do or if I'm on a roll. But that's for me to decide. But unless you're paying me to, to work round the clock for a rush job, you don't get to dictate what I do with my time. You don't know how much time I spent working on your stuff. Your shit might be rendering while I'm tweeting. I can't do nothing but wait. I might as well tweet. Sometimes I have clients who um, 
will try to work on their sites while I'm working on their sites. And that is when I step away and say, okay, I'm done. Because you clearly have no interest in letting me do what you hired me to do. You're gung-ho. Go ahead. Have fun with that. I'm not about to, you know, battle it out with you and try to figure out how to work around you working. It is disruptive. And you're not allowing them to do their best work for you because they're trying to play tug-of-war with the work for you and it's ridiculous and it is um it's disrespectful it's kind of like building a house yes you're paying for it we know that you have a key to it it is yours but why in the hell would you be standing all up in the middle of the house while they still building it get your ass out of there let these people do their job let them finish and then come on in when it's pretty and sparkly and just the way you wanted it. You got to let people do that. Let them do what you are paying them to do. Um, these are a few of my do's and don'ts of hiring a freelancer. Um, there's going to be a laundry list of these. I may share some more later um, on another episode. But that is my time for this episode. And I'm going to leave you guys with an affirmation that I like to speak into the air as often as I possibly can. Everything I nourish will grow. Everything I nourish will grow. Everything I nourish will grow. Say it over and over and over as often as you need to. Everything you nourish will grow whether it is positive or negative whether it is good or bad whether it is love or indifference everything you nourish will grow um i thank you for listening to me i thank you for coming and visiting me and tweeting me and asking me questions um y'all have no idea how much that means to me if you have any show ideas or anything that you want to know about the show or about me or about how I pick subjects, um, hit me up on Twitter at Skeevy Delicious. You can also hit me at SkeevyDelicious.com. I am everywhere, including Facebook. Go like us, Skeevy Delicious on Facebook. I'm everywhere. You ain't never there, but you are invited. So we're going to be family. And I'm going to love it. And you're going to love it. And that's going to be the way it is. Peace out, y'all.